Welcome to the Founders with Purpose podcast, where I interview early stage founders about their mission, why they chose startup life, and how they will get where they're going. I'm your host, Darian Parrish, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, we have Rachel from Harper Coates. Rachel, thank you for joining us. And why don't you give us the the one-liner on what Harper Coates is and uh, why you're passionate about your mission? Um, thank you so much, Darian. Thank you for having me. Um, Rachel uh, Harper Coates is a direct-to-consumer uh, vegan outerwear brand. We like to say that we're the best coats for the worst weather. Yeah, I think that's very, very <laughs> nice and succinct way of putting it. Uh, t- tell our listeners a little bit about what vegan means, because in the uh, food consumption space, I think folks know what that means is, is no animal products. But on the uh, apparel side, does that mean no an- uh, no uh, animal products where the animal was was killed for the use, or does it mean no animal products at all? Great question. Um, it's it's a uh, a lot like uh, how you would say vegetarian and vegan. Um, so, like for instance, you could maybe call yourself a vegetarian brand, not that I think someone would do that. Um, if you, you know, didn't use leathers um, or or like fur pelt, but you did use something maybe like um, natural wool. But we, um, we, we are completely vegan, no animal products whatsoever. Um, and, and that that's for a couple of reasons. A, because well, we certainly, we just haven't had an occasion to um, have it make a decision between like a wool and a wool alternative yet. Um, I guess with the exception of, you know, some of our accessories, like our hats and stuff. Um, But also because another big, another big part of who we are um, is that we really aim to be as sustainable as possible. And any um, apparel that includes anything like factory farming, you know, the same things that they say about like a vegan or vegetarian diet, anything that includes um, having to breed and manage animals um, is going to deepen your impact, your negative impact in the environment. Um, So that's why even kind of going forward, we'll we'll remain a a vegan brand. Great. And I think uh, the other premise of this is that you have uh, I think you say that you, you have coats that, that don't leave you out in the cold or, or your wallet out in the cold. So yeah, uh, there, there's this notion of quality um, at a reasonable price. Tell us a little bit how that originated, um, maybe when you were thinking of the idea for Harper Coats and uh, how you got started. For sure. Well, I guess to go really back a bit, um, I've been in the direct-to-consumer space for about five years, so a little, like not maybe right when it was in the heyday, but certainly cut, got like got cut in the when it was really, um, really booming, and um, and so I always knew like quality at a cost, at a you know an approachable cost has always been a core tenant of basically all direct-to-consumer companies. Um, when I first came to New York and I was working for this direct to consumer startup, um, what's now the fastest uh, women swimmer brand, it's called Andy swim. Um, that I was the first employee of, um, I was here and I was really my first time 
being in the city, being around other direct-to-consumer brands and really kind of getting a sense for, you know, I'd been shopping at The Gap or like if I was really going to be fancy, like Banana Republic or something, like I just was so outside of the like New York fashion and um, retail ecosystem. Um, and I just was seeing it every turn. Direct-to-consumer means like luxury that's affordable, accessible quality, like all of this stuff that you would normally pay $800 for. It's only 400 or whatever. Um, and I started to realize, I was like, but this isn't being super, I'm feeling a little misled. Like, yes, you aren't as expensive as, you know, maybe XYZ luxury, you know, like incumbent brand like Chanel or, you know, these, you know, for your leather handbags or whatever. Um, but like, we're still talking about $300 for a purse or like $80 or maybe $60 for a t-shirt. Like, that's not, it's definitely more affordable luxury, but it's, um, it's definitely not what most people in the world would consider affordable. And so when I got the chance to have my own company, I, <clears throat> it was really important to me to not use that, those like buzzwordy lines, like affordable luxury. Cause I think it sets you up in a bad way. Uh, Cause when people hear luxury, they have an expectation that's borderline impossible to meet. Um, um, and we really are more about quality um, and that you actually don't need to have the luxury goods like fur and leathers and things like that. So kind of change, like kind of changing that conversation. And also I wanted to be really, really honest and fair about, um, about pricing because particularly as the global or the least hopefully national uh, consciousness like wakes up to things like climate change, um, the more that we drive a wedge by saying, you know, this sustainable, you know, this this eco, this uh, electric car, which is twice the price of the Honda I've been driving around, or this plant-based organic diet, which you're saying that increases my grocery bill by 30% every month. I think it drives a wedge that we're having a really hard time like traversing and apparel is one of the best and easiest ways to um, convert people that have a real hesitation um, or at least, you know, can't traverse this gap um, towards a more sustainable lifestyle. So um, I think I had, and I know I just threw a lot out there. I think at some point I was thinking so many different thoughts about, you know, as I was working on our product and sourcing materials and wanting something that felt really quality and soft and warm, but that didn't sacrifice these other areas that were really important to me. Um, at a certain point, I it was almost like a visualization. I saw these all like going around in my head and I was like, these are all sort of towards the same big goal, which is, um, I think, um, lowering the the impact of fashion and really just like any modern industry on the environment and not you know alienating other people and democratizing people together for that cause so 
that all kind of got wrapped up in one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you, you mentioned multiple threads there. Uh, one being that uh, this notion of, of quality doesn't have to mean luxury. And I think there's a lot of other yeah. brands that have done well with that. Uh, maybe Apple is probably the largest known one where uh, some people don't think of most Apple products as luxury, but they, they are quite expensive relative to some of the competitors. Mm -hmm. And it's really positioned as quality. And uh, mm -hmm. the other the other thread there was the notion that there should be uh, there should be access. We need help raise access to uh, affordable or, or to positive or sustainable uh, clothing or apparel. And similar in the food space, right now there are some you know plant based options, some some options that are better for the environment, and they are all very expensive. And um, right. th that sometimes has to happen up front, but everyone's you know trying to drive down cost over time. So I think that's that's very great that that's a mission of Harper Coats. Maybe another thing we can discuss is just when you got started, what was the drive for it? So you talked a little bit about how the idea formed, but did you always want to be a startup founder? Or is this something that you just felt this mission was so important that you had to leave your other job to, to start this company? Um, I knew this question was coming and it always does. I feel I'm unique, at least compared to the people I've met. I haven't met as reluctant a founder as I find myself to be a reluctant entrepreneur or whatever. It's, um, I love startups. I love being part of a small team. I love working like really hard and I don't always do super well with like boundaries and things. So, you know, working like a job where you're like, Hey, if you're not done at five, you shouldn't just like work until five fifteen to finish it and then go home. It's like, no, you have to clock out. I just always was such anathema to me to like behave that way. So startup life, um, once I was kind of dipped my toe, I was like super like, this is great. I'm going to work in companies like this and around people like this that are also motivated by um, working together, working towards a cause, um, and also just like achievement and ambition. Um, so startups, that part I think is just kind of in me. Um, I do come from a kind of a family of entrepreneurs, um, not entrepreneurs in like the growth sense, but so I think that's that. Um, but I've always considered myself more of a number two. I think I'm a great number two and I've been a, a number two at two or three companies now. Um, and I do think that this, that, like this has been in some ways, like Harper's been a challenge, not just because of what launching, you know, a coat company that depends on cold weather in a time when people are barely leaving their houses and the weather is getting warmer. Um, but I think a challenge is also that I, I had to sort of convince myself that this was the right thing to do in a way. Um, I, so yeah, I think, I think at the end, the reason I was like, okay, I'm going to take this on is a, I believed in this business in particular. Um, and I saw a chance to make it my own. Um, and, and I think also I thought it was important enough to do that someone needed to do it. And I just kind of looked around 
um, around like in my peers and stuff. And I didn't see anyone, um, you know, raising their hand. So I am like a sucker, I guess, sometimes when I, you know, I was like, okay, well, it's got to be done. So that's me. Um, and in many ways, for that reason, I think I still sort of feel like a number two, like my my board is the the CEO and I'm, you know, just the, you know, person in charge. But yeah, I think not everyone is is really wanting to get into, you know, they hadn't dreamed of being an entrepreneur the whole time or founding their own company. And then it just so happens that, like you said, no one else is raising their hand and, and they step in. I think there's a lot of really important issues uh, right now where we need more more entrepreneurs ju- uh, stepping in to solve the problem because because no one has their hands up. So yeah. uh, th- I think that's great. And uh, you know, in in regards to launching, as you mentioned during COVID, where you have a product that you know really doesn't necessarily need to be worn inside, how are you thinking about that? You know, because COVID, you know, is I don't want to try and. Uh, mix the science here but there there is uh some some vaccines being uh administered For across sure. the globe obviously in the u.s we're uh fairly well vaccinated at over 25 percent what do you think about you know the next year and how this is gonna you know impact your business and what did you maybe change because of covid and uh you know just help some other entrepreneurs think about that that maybe pivot that might have hap- had to happen For sure. I mean, listen, um, COVID was devastating primarily just because of what it meant to be a founder. And and like, just, I think in a time when a lot of us are feeling isolated to be at home or we are, and we're feeling isolated, you know, I don't know if you've, you know, other people say this to you, but I've certainly heard feedback from founders that they feel isolated in the position. So that like, that was very challenging. Um, but in many ways, this is, or maybe I've just drank my own Kool-Aid for so long, but in many ways, you know, we were in a very good position to deal with COVID. Um, um, yes, people, you know, people's shopping habits changed, people were really affected, um, but, we were going to be online natively anyway. I did have, um, I think direct to consumer um, is a the best type of retail business um, because it, it allows you to test and to learn without a gigantic overcapitalization. But direct to consumer these days doesn't live online for very long. Um, and we were going to we had, you know, boutique relationships and we had some partnerships with um, like some collegiate like snow team, uh, not snow, ski teams, um, things like that. And a lot of these things got canceled. Right. And that's it is what it is. Um, it led to some pretty hilarious, I would say, like took me back to my like early Andy days. You know, my, my husband and I were waiting for a COVID test one very cold November morning for like four hours, but we, we were, you know, it was cold, but we were pretty comfortable. We were wearing coats and um, we were wearing Harper's and, but we saw people going in now they're running to the, like the little McDonald's to get like a coffee to keep themselves warm and everything. So for the, like over the next few months, I had like a big industrial rolling rack and I had like a size run of um, my 
three styles and sizes. And I walked like, there's like a, I mapped like a little route of all the city MDs in my neighborhood. And, you know, I didn't like break the bank, but I saw people touching and trying on my coats and responding to what they liked and what they didn't like. And, you know, sold half a dozen coats. I was like, okay, that's not too bad for, for me. That was really meaningful. And, um, so it definitely taught me that omnichannel is definitely the way to go as we come out of COVID, particularly not just because that was the way direct to consumer is going, but the urge for people is going to really be there to go out. And, and um, yeah, and I think that's, I don't know, COVID also, I mean, for better, for worse, New York is not a place where a lot of people spend a, part, a lot of time outdoors. Um, but COVID forced us all to, if you want to eat your like nice spaghetti dinner, like you're going to have to do it outside. And yeah, like that, we, we played into that and you know, how much is a gimmick and how much is true? It doesn't really matter. But for us, it gave us something to talk about and, you know, gave us like fun ways to connect with people. And at the end of the day, that's what the goal has to be. So yeah, I think that's great. You know, going around and carrying the coats and getting getting customer feedback on the ground. I think uh, Brian at uh, Airbnb has talked about the importance of yeah. going out and talking to the customer and, and like actually going and he'll he'll stay at a home or stay something. There. You know, and I think huge that's, fan of him. That's great. Yeah, and I think uh, you know you mentioned wearing your own coats. Obviously, uh, you know, eating your own cooking or using your own product, I think is yeah. is very important as well. So. Um, a lot of uh, great insights there, especially about the D2C omni-channel, because I think uh, we're all starting to experience that uh, where uh, there's a really great D2C brand, but to some things you need to have the physical item. Uh, there's online car sales, but occasionally you you want you want to test drive the car you're going to use. <laughs> uh, so I think okay. I think there's definitely uh, a need for that. And going into the final segment here, I think there's there's sort of two directions I normally go here. And, and I think I'm going to take you down both because uh, I think you'll give us some good insights here. What, okay. What's uh, what's another trend in the D2C space um, or in apparel that you think is uh, maybe underappreciated that uh, is playing out over the next uh, five to 10 years? Well, besides the very obvious like uh, recalibration towards sustainable supply chain. Um, like you said, it took a while and a lot of money and effort to set those up. And so we'd all be very foolish not to take advantage of those um, and build upon them. Um, I think as far as like direct to consumer goes, I, I do, and again, the Kool-Aid is like on tap in this house because it has to be <laughs> when you're when you're a founder, I think. And my husband also happens to be um, an entrepreneur. And so, you know, it's like, you know, we have like a monthly subscription to that. But wait, um, wait Rachel, when I announce this episode, <laughs> can I just quote the Kool-Aid is on tap? And that's, that's yeah. all I will put in, and that's how I'll announce this episode. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, but I think... Direct-to-consumer, it had its heyday, right? And it was these really big, splashy, gigantic capital raises and these huge like marketing campaigns and these really upside-down unit economics. 
And, but it was really exciting and you could see consumers doing it. I remember the first time, like I saw a person wearing an Andy bathing suit that I saw that I didn't know at the beach. I like was floored. I like lost my mind. Like there's so much excitement around, around it. Um, but it's a real business that needed more innovation from there. And the reason that we, the late 20 teens saw, you know, kind of the collapse of all of these, whether it was kind of like personnel or like, you know, the founders, like the, like the chief, the C-suite was, you know, behaving badly or whatever to these, you know, IPOs or something that weren't so successful or, you know, just hearing really, you know, bad, like down round raises and all of these things. It's because I think we, we were, it was like, we were all like teenagers. And then like, suddenly we had to grow up and like, you know, get our voter ID and driver license and like, go make something of ourselves. And a lot of people weren't particularly prepared for that because of overcapitalization um, and just growing, um, like unattainably, like, like at a rate that you couldn't maintain, um, because you're trying to keep up with, you know, the growth of tech or things like that. And maybe we've seen the last billion dollar unicorn as far as like, like, I don't think, um, a direct to consumer company that's founded, you know, post 2018, 2019. And I'm sure there's one out there now that I should be thinking of, but I don't think a lot of those are going to be your unicorn brands. Um, but that's fine. Um, direct to consumer is mathematics. You need to make sure your unit economics are really strong. Um, and I think I have a really good business model to do that based on my time at Andy and based on what I see, um, from other successful, but larger companies. Um, so I've tried to sort of make some of those later stage partnerships and things happen earlier for us to make our unit economics work and, and things like that. And I think that counting direct to consumer out um, without really understanding how much more of a really good bet it could be um, is, is foolish. And I think that the days of like the, you know, the gap, you know, family of brands and things like that uh, owning you know, massive market share, I do think that's going to phase out and we're going to have a lot more companies. If, if outerwear is a $90 billion TAM, we're not going to have one big company that's eating up 30% of that. I think we're going to have, you know, thousand companies that are taking, you know, a hundred million bucks of that. And that's not the outcome of like uh, Facebook and Uber but it's still a really, really great bet to invest in and a really, um, I think a really good business model. Great. And I think you, you sort of covered the other path there, which is <laughs> telling us about, you know, maybe something that's noteworthy in your business. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned you have unit economics that work and make sense. So yeah. I, I would say, I would say that Imagine covers that. it. <laughs> Imagine that, yeah. that, that uh, all investors take note. Uh, there's, there's something here. Uh, well, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. I thank really you. appreciate it. It was, it was really great to learn more. And uh, where can where can everyone find you on the web? 
Um, well, if you're looking for a coat, our website is very easy. It's harpercoats.com. Um, and our social things are all Harper at Harper Coats. Um, and if any founders or anyone wants to talk about any of this with me, this is what I do all day. And my husband's probably getting sick of it. So um, they can email me. It's just Rachel at harpercoats.com. Great. Well, I'll put links in the show notes. And, and thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Please be sure to follow Founders with Purpose and tune in again soon.